Learning the ups and downs of David's life, next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You It's been said that the only place you'll find peace on earth is wherever there's a little bit of heaven. As Christians, we're called to be peacemakers, bringing a little bit of heaven to others. But making peace is not always possible because of the unwillingness of others. And then there's also the concern of our peacemaking efforts being misjudged or ineffective. What then? Let's look to the scriptures for some answers to these questions today on Abounding Grace. As we continue in our study in 2 Samuel, we'll pay a visit to chapters 10 and 11. We'll learn from both a very high and very low point in David's life. Our teacher, as always, is Pastor Ed Taylor. 2 Samuel chapter 10, we learned in our previous study of the love and the faithfulness of Jesus. And the love and faithfulness of Jesus Christ is demonstrated through the love and faithfulness of David. David was remembering in a season of his life a, an oath that he made with his friend Jonathan. And he made an oath to Jonathan that he would take care and bless his family. And he calls for anyone that would be left from the family of King Saul. And they found Mephibosheth there in Lodabar. And David brings, they bring Mephibosheth to David, and David brings the love of God to Mephibosheth. He shows amazing, gracious love and kindness to him. And from that, we learn of the amazing, gracious love of God. Now, in chapter 10, David also attempts to show kindness once again, but this time it's not met with appreciation, it's met with resistance. It leads to war and not peace. He was misunderstood. And David is forced to defend his own honor as well as the honor of God's people. And you'll notice in chapter 10, verse 1, it happened after this that the king of the people of Ammon died, and Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, as, the father show, as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent by the hand of his servants to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the people of Ammon. Then the princes, verse 3, of the people of Ammon said to Hanun, their lord, Do you think that David really honors your father because he sent comforters to you? Has David not rather sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out, and overthrow it? Therefore Hanun took David's servants, shaved half of their beards, cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks, and sent them away. When they told David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, wait at Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. During the reign of King Saul, the Ammonites were the was his first military victory. Which brings up for you Bible students a good Bible question. What happened that David would show kindness? How did David become so friendly with the Ammonites? The Bible doesn't really tell us. 
But we know in this season of David's life that he is in a season of wanting to show God's love and God's grace. And we're not told exactly how they began to be friendly once again, but we do know, as the Bible records, that after the death of, a, of the king, David wanted to reach out and, and bless them, maybe, maybe show some kind of kindness through a treaty. Not so personal like Mephibosheth, but nonetheless the same as his ruling, as his role as king. The delegation, however, was met with cruelty and humiliation. And as one commentator put it, and I quote, immaturity and ignorance triumphed over wisdom and common sense. And let me just say now, be careful in your life that immaturity and ignorance doesn't triumph over wisdom and common sense in your life. You don't want to be met with bad counsel and then you fall into bad counsel and immaturity and ignorance triumphs over wisdom and common sense. And in this case, it leads to even worse decisions, and unfortunately, many people will lose their lives as a result. So what do they do? They cut off half their beards, which in a very real way was a humiliation to these men, because according to the scriptures in Leviticus 19, you can jot it down, Deuteronomy chapter 14, Jewish men were to keep their beards intact. That alone was a religious insult but how about this cutting off their garments to expose their bottoms? I mean, can you imagine if that's how you were treated? You were, gone, you were coming with a great message from the king, and you were given, uh, you know, you're giving out the message, and what do they do? They grab you, they, they take you, they hold you down, they cut off half your beard, then cut your pants off, and then you got to run around naked showing your buttocks. This is no small insult. It, it was no small thing. And David's kindness was now met with war. This is something that needs to be answered and responded to. But I think, though, for the sake of those listening in now that, that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to describe to you just for a moment what it looks like when someone comes to you with the message of Jesus Christ and you reject it. Now, of course, I know you don't reject it in a way where you cut off beards and expose someone's bottom. But the reality of the humiliation that comes when God sends you a message through the hand of a messenger and you refuse the message and you resist the message and you constantly turn your back upon the love of God. It isn't the person leaving that's humiliated. You actually are doing that to yourself. You're finding yourself in a position resisting the love of God that you make your heart harder as a result. And you actually expose in many ways an immaturity perhaps or even an ignorance of the true understanding of the love of God. Because if you really understood the love of God, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. I mean, if you really understood how much God cares for you, and if you really understood the sacrifice that Jesus made for you, and if you really understand the, the value of your life, and how much God desires you to live at a much higher level than you're living right now, if you really understood what sacrifice was made for you, at what cost the value of your salvation was, you would receive it. Because it was at that point 
in our lives when we fully understood at the level that we knew at the time. Because what happens after you are born again, you just begin to learn more and more about the love of God. You get all these different facets of the love of God, the faithfulness of God, that even when you are faithless, God remains faithful. I mean, it's an ever, never-ending growth in understanding God's character and nature toward us. But we understood it in what was presented to us, and we said, that is what I want for my life. I want to be right with God. I want to be in a place where I can enjoy. I don't want to just hear with the ear of the love of God. I want to experience it. And not only do I want to experience it, but I want to share it with my family. My family needs to know. My friends need to know. My boyfriend, he needs to know. My girlfriend, she's got to know of this love. You come with a delegation. God sends a delegation of love to you. The last thing you want to do is send that person away humiliated because in reality, you're the one walking away in humiliation, resisting once again God's graciousness to you. So verse 6 says, When the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, the people of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Bethrahab and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers, and from King Maaka, 1,000 men, and from Ishtob, 12,000 men. Now when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men and the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate. Why? Why the battle array? Why a war? Why hire all these thousands of mercenaries? Simply because they didn't receive the kindness of David. It's, it's simple. And now it's turned them into defending themselves. It's turned them in really to go on the offensive. They're trying to cover up what they did by taking out the nation of Israel. David responds. He sends his mighty men. Then the people, verse 8, of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate. The Syrians of Zobah, Rahab, Ishtob, and Makkah were by themselves in the field. And when Joab saw that the battle line was against him before and behind, he chose some of the choice men of Israel and put them in battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother, And he put them in battle array against the people of Ammon. And then he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I'll come and help you. Be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for our cities of of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai and entered the city. So Joab returned from the people of Ammon and went to Jerusalem. They insult, the, those that were insulted, David told them, stay in Jericho, stay there, and, and you don't need to walk around in shame. And that's a beautiful picture of the love of God where the Bible says that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. You don't need to walk in shame when you're walking in repentance. You you can go and, and enjoy the freedom of forgiveness. It's a great picture. Now, King Hunan, when he allowed his officials to mistreat these people, the delegation, he not only insulted the men personally, but he also insulted King David who sent them, which makes sense, and also the nation of Israel. The king wasn't ready for war. He wasn't expecting war. So he hired the Syrians. And they brought a movement upon the nation of Israel from the north and the south, trying to pinch them. The Syrians would come from the north. The Ammonites would come up from the south. And Joab, he divides his armies, and he saw victory in the Lord. Verse 15. 
Now when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated before Israel, they gathered together. Then Hadadezer sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the river, and they came to Helam. And Shobach, the commander of Hadadezer's army, went before them. When it was told David, he gathered all Israel, crossed over the Jordan, came to Helam. And the Syrians set themselves in battle array against David and fought them, fought with him. And the Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 horsemen of the Syrians and struck Shobach, the commander of their army, who died there. And when all the kings who were servants to Hadadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians were afraid to help the people of Ammon anymore. David now personally led this battle as king. He led this battle against the Syrians and defeated them, making now those that remain submissive to Israel. This is the beginning of seeing David as a man of war, fighting the battles of the Lord. And we continue to learn the secret, really, of David's success, which is the secret of our success, is that the victory came because the Lord was with him. He was in the will of God, and when you are in the will of God, you and I experience nothing but victory, which makes sense then that we will want to seek the will of God, and when God reveals his will to us, we want to do it. And I'm not speaking of like the will of God, some elusive thing, just really what the Bible says. You just let the Bible speak to you and you submit yourself to the word. That, that's the easiest way to experience victory in our lives. And I don't even mean what you necessarily hear a pastor teach or what I'm teaching. Just open up the Bible and let the Holy Spirit reveal to you his will. And there's so many places in the scriptures where God clearly reveals his will. And while we're waiting on him, perhaps, in other areas of our lives, we should spend our time doing the things that are clear in the scriptures. And David, we find, when he did that, there was victory. And he is at the top of his, the height of his kingdom at this place, at this point. He extends the nation's boundaries out to the river of Egypt to the south, the river Euphrates to the north, as you grab a map or maybe see the map in the back of your Bible. Toward the east, David conquers Edom and Moab and Ammon. Toward the north, the Arameans, the Syrians. He's at a great place. David's at the top of, top of his game, if you will. The strongest he's ever been, the strongest the nation has ever experienced to this point. And that's a danger for us. To watch out in those times of great success for the attacks of the enemy to watch out at those times of great success of the reality that you know that the enemy would want to take you down. Just know that now, if you didn't already know. You, you come today and you're in a great place in your life, and for that we're very grateful. You've experienced a few victories in your life. You maybe experienced a humi- little humiliation and then God gives you the victory. I want to plant it in your heart and to know that that's a very vulnerable place for you, success. It's one of the most dangerous places for the believer is to experience success after success. And you go, wait a minute, Ed, that doesn't make any sense. Wouldn't, my, wouldn't I be in a much worse place if I was going through a trial? If I was really fighting something? If I was really in the thick of things in the spiritual warfare? Well, consider this. When, when you're going through a trial, when you're facing a downtime in your life, something happens that you begin to seek the Lord like you've never sought the Lord before. You begin to cry out to him. You become so desperate for God, so desperate for his answer. 
You find yourself, as many do, as we see this many times, when a crisis hits our nation, churches fill up almost immediately. I don't look down on that. I mean, I'm not praying for more crises that will hurt or harm so that churches might be filled, but I'll tell you what, when a crisis hits, people start to seek God. They begin to cry out to God. It's in difficult times when you hear those testimonies, don't you? In difficult times, you know, you'll hear somebody say, yeah, when I was at my end, I, I cried out to God and I said, God, if you get me out of this, I'll dedicate my life to you. That usually doesn't happen when things are going well. Nothing to get out of. God, thank you for your blessing in those times of success. But that's about it. Because then you go out and enjoy the success. <laughs> you go, God, this is a great place. I appreciate you and I love you. But then... Because there's no crisis, nothing, there's nothing pressing you into the Lord, you're at a very vulnerable place. It doesn't mean you're backslidden. It doesn't mean you're in a bad place. It just means you're in a vulnerable place. I mean, if truth be told, we should be just as desperate for the things of God in the bad times as in the good. We should be just as desperate to know the will of God in the bad times or in the good. David is in a good place here. I don't want you to lose that. As we move forward in the next chapter. Now we're not going to get into the next chapter much at all today. I just want to read the first couple of verses to you. And lay a half of our introduction for our next time. So you have something to pray about this week. You have something to meditate on. You have something to consider. Uh, a few things that we're going to learn before we get into. Well David from his highest point in chapter 10 to his lowest point. Chapters 11 and on. You notice in verse 1, now it came to pass in the spring of the year at the times when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon. They besieged Rabbah and David remained at Jerusalem. It's an interesting way chapter 11 opens up. It was time for kings to go to war. That was the normal time. It was what people did. We just read in chapter 10, David going to war and doing what kings normally did and led the battle and encouraged the people. But this time in chapter 11, when it was the springtime, the time that guys, kings usually went to war, David sent Joab and he stayed in Jerusalem. It happened one evening. Doesn't everything happen? It, I, I mean, everything like that. Then it happened one evening. That could go good or bad if we stopped right there. Then it happened one evening. But it happened in a place where he was at a, a place of all-time success. And it happened in a place where while kings were going out to war, king, king David decided not to go. He remained in Jerusalem. And it happened one day, or one evening, that David arose from his bed and walked out onto the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. Before we study the chapter in depth next time, we need to step back and, and allow us to catch up where we're at and see where we, what we're learning about David. Because David is known, and I'm sure you have known David to be referred to as a man after God's own heart. The kind of man that we want to be, the kind of woman we want to be. I mean, if there's a description of our lives, we would want to be known as a man or a woman after God's heart. We don't want to be known as a man or a woman after the world. We don't want to be known as a backslider. We don't want to know, be known as somebody, you know, he used to be among the believers. He used to serve God. She used to be used. Of course, we all want to be known as a man after God's own heart. A woman who has the heart of God in her. 
This means that he's a lover of God, that he has a proven relationship with God. He's a man wanting to please God. You could even say that David has a healthy fear of God. It's all included in that phrase. And yet, David was a normal man. He was human. A man with great failures, as we'll see in chapter 11. Great, intense failures that affected his entire life, the consequences of those failures. Which reminds me that one of the greatest evidences, besides archaeological evidence, besides manuscript evidence, besides predictive prophecy, besides the statistical probability of all the facts and evidence that we have to, that, lead credi- that lend credibility to the Bible in your hand is this accurate translation of the original autographs. One other evidence that we can't overlook of what makes the Bible so real is that it tells the truth about its heroes. Can you imagine if we were writing the Bible, if you were writing an autobiography on your life, just your life, it's not inspired scripture, it's just going to be an autobiography devotional book, and you had a real dark, difficult time in your life, you may describe it, but you may not give us all the facts. For good reason. You don't want to remember all the facts. And you don't want to be embarrassed by all the facts. That was your past. You wouldn't want to admit that you did such and such and so and so. And I would understand. So would you. That we write our autobiography. We would have chapter 5. That was a really bad year in my life. Really bad. And then there's six blank pages and you go to chapter 6. Because if you're going to write, you're going to, even, even if it's subliminally, you're going to want to put your best foot forward in some way or another. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible gives us the facts. And God doesn't gloss over the failures and frailties of the men and women that he's chosen to use. He, he, he tells us the good and the bad. He reveals to us so many characteristics that, that God... Actually, the Bible says, of, you know, God declares this to us by the Spirit. He says that he's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He hasn't chosen the people you would expect to be used. He hasn't chosen the people that even you would want to be used. But he says that he's chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. The foolish things. In all their foolishness. I mean, in order to choose foolish things... To be used, you have to be foolish. It has to be a foolish thing. It has to not make sense. It has to engender in your life faith that God knows what he's doing. Because you look at the people that God's using, and you go, wait a minute, aren't there more qualified? Maybe there are. But God has made a purposeful choice to choose foolish people so that at the end of the day, God can be glorified. That's what the Bible says. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord, not in the vessel that he's used. If David was described as a man that was perfectly perfect, we would all be discouraged by his life. It would be discouraging because who one of us, as we're reading a book of perfect people, who one of us can say, well, I can, I can be perfect like him. Aren't you glad that the heroes of the Bible were far from perfect? 
It gives hope to us that no matter what we've done, God can and still will use us. You're listening to Abounding Grace and a message from Pastor Ed Taylor in 2 Samuel. And you can request a CD copy for $2 when you give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. Or look for this message on our website at calvaryaurora.org. There you'll find a wide variety of resources designed to help strengthen your relationship with Christ and grow in God's abounding grace. Again, we're at calvaryaurora.org. Another way to listen to Ed's teachings is by downloading the Calvary Aurora app. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. When you do, you'll also notice the Grace FM Colorado app. That would be a good one to add to your mobile device, too. Again, that's the Calvary Aurora and the Grace FM Colorado apps, a great way to fill up on the teaching of God's Word throughout the week and stay connected with us. At Abounding Grace, we're committed to bringing Bible teaching to your station every day, and we rely on the support of our listeners to do that. And today, when you give a donation of $25 or more, we'll send you the book Radical Prayer by Manny Mill. So call 877-30-GRACE so we can get that right out to you. Let me also give you our mailing address, Abounding Grace, Post Office Box 460598, Aurora, Colorado, 80046. Well, that'll do it for today. Come back next time when Pastor Ed Taylor will pick up where we left off in 2 Samuel here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora. 